I'm Bridget Metcalf. Join me each week as I chat with leaders from around the world, shining a light of global issues that affect us all, so the truth may be known. Don't miss out on the conversation. Go to your favorite podcast streaming service now to subscribe to Truth Be Known. For upcoming podcasts, go to truthbeknown.org and enjoy the conversation. Hello, friends. This is Bridget Metcalf, and thank you for joining us today on the Truth Be Known podcast. We have Jamin Metcalf with us on the show. Jamin is a historian and theologian sharing about C.S. Lewis's life and writings from his book, Mere Christianity. We will be digging into Lewis's journey from atheism to Christianity and how Mere Christianity was birthed during a time of crisis and a great need during the horrors of World War II. And he says that this feeling, which is universal, it's in every culture around the world throughout history, is the first clue to discovering the truth of Christianity and the meaning behind our whole lives. Let's take a closer look at the works of a profound author and an exceptional professor, C.S. Lewis. Enjoy the conversation as we dive into this week's episode of Truth Be Known. Well, Jamin, thank you for joining us today with Truth Be Known. And I want to share on the topic of C.S. Lewis and mere Christianity. This is a topic that I know interests you quite a bit. And we're going to be talking a little bit about where C.S. Lewis was at when he wrote this book, what was his mindset, and what was his purpose behind it. So I want to hear from you today just a little bit about that. But before you do share that, would you just give me a little intro about your interest of C.S. Lewis? Yeah, absolutely. I discovered C.S. Lewis when I was, I believe, 12 years old, and I was at my school library, and I picked up a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was a part of his Narnia series, and I was told that it was a really good fairy tale type book. And so I started reading through it. And even as a 12 year old, I started picking up some of these interesting Christian messages that were kind of woven into the narrative of this fairy tale. And the fairy tale was just very beautiful. And it was this big adventure. And at the center of it all is this talking lion called Aslan, who's sort of a god figure in the book. And it just was enrapturing. It just was a really beautiful story. So I started reading the rest of the Chronicles of Narnia and just became a a really big fan of his literature and just enjoyed his books. And then discovered later as a teenager that he didn't just write fairy tales for kids, but he actually was an academic. He was a philosopher. He was a professor of literature and classics at the University of Oxford, one of the best universities in the whole world. And as soon as I found that out, I started reading some of his other books, such as The Screwtape Letters, Mere Christianity, The Abolition of Man, Miracles, The Problem of Pain. And all of those books started to take me into a much deeper understanding of my faith. He really challenged a lot of my preconceived notions and caused me to think far more deeply 
about what does it mean to be a Christian? How can we give reasons for our faith, not just faith itself without any reason? And it was inspirational to me. I found something so lovely in both his imaginative works and in his reason, in his philosophical works. So have you read all of his novels? I'm very close. C.S. Lewis wrote over 40 books during his lifetime. I have read all of them except for one. He wrote during his years as an academic at Oxford what is called A History of 16th Century Literature, and it is quite a tome. It's over a thousand pages long, and I have not gotten the chance to make it all the way through that book yet, but everything else I have read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, have you done a study on C.S. Lewis, not just reading his books, but you actually have done intense study on his life? I have, yes. I, I actually, when I was an undergrad, I had a professor who was a, a, a huge fan of C.S. Lewis and ended up actually writing a book on C.S. Lewis. And I took a course from him on his life and his works. And so I studied C.S. Lewis very closely. And then I studied abroad in England in my undergrad as well. And when I was out there, I got to visit his home up near Oxford and visited his classrooms, his tutor rooms in Oxford itself there at Maudlin College. So I was able to study him there where he used to lecture and write. And now I'm in my master's degree program and I've continued to make him a centerpiece in my own research as a scholar. So what is it about his life that really intrigues you and about his writings, what draws you in and makes you want to know C.S. Lewis a little bit more? And, and I guess my other question would be, what makes him such a true author? You know, his works are not just works, but he really lived out what he believed. Well, I think one of the things that draws me to him, like many others, in terms of his belief in, in Christianity, is that C.S. Lewis, for most of his young adult life, was an atheist, not a Christian at all. In fact, even though he was raised in an Anglican family in Northern Ireland, when he was a young boy, his mother died of cancer, and it was a really horrific event for him. And then after she died, he was sent off to boarding school, and he felt very alone. He was made fun of and isolated there at school. And in the midst of all that suffering and that isolation and that loneliness, C.S. Lewis began to doubt the little faith that he had been given as a, a young boy. And he became convinced by the age of 13 that there was no God, that there actually wasn't anything spiritual about the universe or supernatural. There was just cold, hard material, and science could and would explain the whole universe and everything in it. He was a very gifted student from a young age, very, very bright, and his father recognized his prowess with literature and with languages when he was a young boy. By the age of 17, he was virtually fluent in French, Latin, and Greek. And I should mention it's ancient Greek and ancient Latin that he studied, but a brilliant student. And so he actually went off to Oxford University to study there when he was 17. And then World War I broke out and he fought in the trenches in World War I. And for anybody who knows anything at all about World War I, 
they'll know that it was one of the most horrific, blood-laden wars in human history. And like many people in the early 1900s, World War I shocked Lewis. He actually was wounded during a major battle in that war. Artillery shell blew up next to him. It killed his best friend and threw shrapnel through his arm and shoulder. So he was acquainted with suffering from a young age. And after that time, went to Oxford. He studied at Oxford first philosophy, then classics, then English. And he actually earned three first degrees, which is kind of an English equivalent of master's degrees almost. So he earned three of those and then became a tutor at Oxford University, which is like a, a professorship type position. So the inspirational thing is all through all of that, he was an atheist until around his early 30s, his atheism began to shake. And I don't know if you'd want me to go into maybe yeah, how that explain? happened. Or maybe that. Yeah, that would be fantastic if you would explain how that happened. So in his early 30s, he began to have doubts with his atheism. One of the things that really upset him is that he was so passionate about literature and myth and art and there was something in literature and, and in the world of imagination that from his earliest days just enraptured him, brought him into the heights of mystic experience. There was something about Greek and Norse mythology that to him revealed aspects of the world that were so exciting and full of passion and mystery. And science, the scientific view of the world, which was so common in that day and still is today, to him seemed cold and dreary, drab, boring, flat. And so he felt a duality. His heart longed for a world full of magic and meaning and the supernatural, but his head was stuck on this scientific materialism. Through a series of conversations with other Christians and other people who were not scientific materialists, he actually was led through his reason into a doubting of his atheism. The, the first thing that brought him doubts intellectually was that he realized that if the whole world, including human beings in their minds, was one long train of causes, just cause and effect, and it was random, right? And this is what science teaches us today, really, is the world is random. There's no real rhyme or reason to it. We're atoms bouncing in the void. Well, what he realized is that in thinking that, his mind was simply, if he kept consistent with his thinking about atheism, his mind was nothing more than atoms bouncing about in the void. And that disturbed him because if his mind was random, it just randomly generated through evolution and, and just different atoms and, and electrical synapses firing off, how could he trust the conclusions of his mind? How could he trust that anything that he thought was actually true if it's just random, if it's just a survival mechanism from evolution? And this disturbed him. And he realized that in coming to the truth of human evolution and atheism, he had to give up the notion of truth altogether. Reason didn't matter anymore. Being an academic didn't really matter anymore. There was no truth to be sought. And there also was no goodness. There was no morality. Also, all the beauty of the literature that he had read for so many years, that beauty was nothing, just randomly generated from our minds. And he couldn't hold that. He said, this just is wrong. 
It doesn't make any sense. That led him down a long journey into exploring Christianity. And the moment where it really began to break open for him is he was on a walk with another famous author, the author of The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, who was a professor at Oxford as well. Tolkien was a Catholic there at Oxford, so he was a Christian. And he was talking with Lewis, and Lewis was saying, you know, I just can't understand this whole Jesus thing. It's clearly just a myth. And, you know, myths are great. I, I love mythology, but it seems that Jesus's death and resurrection is, it's, it's just a myth. It's a nice story, but how can it be true? And Tolkien said to Lewis, Lewis, clearly you haven't read the Gospels closely enough because the Gospels that proclaim Jesus are not mythological books. They claim historicity. They mentioned Pontius Pilate. They mentioned real people we know from Roman history at that time. And he said, it seems to me that the beauty of Jesus in the gospel is that he really is myth become fact. He is what all the myths in the universe of our history were all about. Jesus is the fulfillment of those myths. He's the one that makes them all make sense. And that broke something in Lewis. And he describes in much more detail in his book, Surprised by Joy, how he came to his faith. So about mere Christianity, that book in particular, where was this in his writings when he became a Christian? What's the timeline of that? Yeah, Lewis became a Christian in the 30s, the 1930s. Mere Christianity was written in 1942 during World War II when England was experiencing what we now call the Blitz. 400 Nazi bombers flying over parts of England every night during this time period, killing thousands of people every night. It was a horrific time in British history during World War II. Lewis, as soon as the war broke out in 1939, actually signed up to help with the war effort, even though he, he didn't sign up as a soldier. He signed up to help with the RAF, the Royal Air Force, to give lectures and talks to some of the troops there as a chaplain. And he would just preach to them and, and talk with them about God and about life after death and the hope of Christianity. And there was a BBC News broadcaster who heard Lewis giving some of these talks, and he had a bright idea. He said, what if we put you on BBC radio for all of England to listen to, and you can give the English people comfort and hope in the Christian story? And so Lewis agreed. And in 1942, he was, he was put on the air in a series of different radio talks explaining what what do Christians believe? Why is Christianity still relevant? And what kind of a hope can it give us in this time of tragedy? Which I think is very relevant to maybe our day and age right now in a time of great hardship and tragedy. I think his book still reads true. The book was just a collection of those radio talks all put together. Really? So it was from BBC, they, they took those radio talks and put them together. And those are his inspirations to the English countrymen and everybody during that time. That's amazing. I didn't realize that. So what is it about the book, Mere Christianity, that has become a staple for so many people when it comes to understanding their faith? Well, I think there's maybe three things that really catches people whenever they first start reading Mere Christianity. The first thing is that 
because C.S. Lewis was both a brilliant philosopher and a brilliant writer, he was able to take very esoteric, very high, very complex doctrines of Christianity, pieces of theology, and put them into everyday plain language that anyone could understand. That was, that's probably the main thing people notice right from the get-go when they read the book. And that's pretty incredible. That's a difficult thing to do. As an English teacher, I, I know that writing simply is often far more difficult than writing in a complex, erudite manner. So his simplicity is really incredible. The other thing, the second thing, is that in the way it's written, C.S. Lewis seeks to be an apologist, meaning that he's not writing to Christians. He's very aware that his audience in England at this time are people who maybe are culturally Christian. You know, maybe they went to church when they were kids. They, they're aware of Christianity, but they haven't really devoted their lives to Jesus. And he wants to meet those people where they are. And he does exactly that. He proposes to them in very simple terms, here's how you maybe see the world right now. Let me open a door for you so that you can see what Christianity offers. And it's very persuasive in that way, very reasonable, very well thought out. And then the third and final thing about it that, that really is incredible that you notice when you read it is it is ecumenical. That's it, a word that refers to the coming together of many different Christian traditions. So C.S. Lewis actually intended his book to be able to reach not just English Anglicans, but Catholics, Greek Orthodox, Evangelical, Methodist. He wanted it to reflect the theology of Christianity that is common to all different denominations of Christianity. And so it, it's a great work in that sense. And still to this day, mere Christianity is something that is beloved by some of the low church people, such as Pentecostals, and some of the high church people, such as Catholics and, and Anglicans. All of them seem to come to Lewis and see something very valuable and true about his theology. I remember going to my university was a liberal arts Christian university evangel. And it was required reading to read mere Christianity. Uh, explain to me what you mean by high church and low church. High church refers to churches such as Presbyterianism, Anglicanism, Catholicism, Orthodox Christianity, in which there is a heavy emphasis placed on sacraments in the church and on the uh, apostolic ordinances. So any church that you go to where the Eucharist is the center of the service, not the sermon, that's high church. Low church refers to the modern evangelical movements that have come out of Protestant Christianity, which put far more of an emphasis on being attractive to people who maybe have not been to church before. And they don't put a heavy emphasis on sacraments, even though they still practice them. Thank you for explaining that. I, I want to just delve in a little bit into mere Christianity and want to ask you if you have some favorite excerpts of the book that really stand out to you, maybe made an impact on your life personally, and just kind of stood out to you in a way that it, it kind of shifted your view or your outcome of Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'd love to actually read just a few passages, and, you know, and I'll start at the beginning because I, I 
think that it'll give us a really good picture of how C.S. Lewis sets this argument out. C.S. Lewis begins the book with a chapter called Right and Wrong as a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe. And he begins it by pointing out something very simple that every one of us as human beings has experienced. And that is a sense that the world ought to be a certain way, that human beings ought to treat each other in a certain way. And the second realization that human beings don't treat each other that way and that the world isn't as it should be. And he says that this feeling, which is universal, it's in every culture around the world throughout history, is the first clue to discovering the truth of Christianity and the meaning behind our whole lives. And he goes in this these chapters, uh, he talks about his own atheism and about his own approach to this. And uh, one of his main arguments against God, which I think is a very common one, especially right now during our pandemic, is if God, if there is a good God who's in control of the whole world, why is there so much pain and suffering? I think How that's could a good question God? that yeah. so many people have. And so, so, many. so many, yeah. And that's something that people grapple with on a constant basis. So yeah, you were yeah. saying. Yeah, he it. it he poses that question. I think it's one of the most difficult questions for any Christian to answer. But here, I want to read actually just a piece of his answer to that question. Here's what he says. I think this is so relevant for today. He says, when I was an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction against it? A man feels wet when he falls into water because man is not a water animal. A fish would not feel wet. Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own, but if I did that, then my argument against God would collapse, for the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found that I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be a word without meaning. So that is his kind of posing of the problem that atheists really have to wrestle with when they ask the question, how could a good God have a universe that's so full of suffering? He turns it back on the atheist and says, if you have an understanding that the universe is unjust, that there's so much, it's wrong, that there's so much suffering, where did you get that idea from? What is justice? Where does it come from? So I, I think that that passage is just very powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has so much meaning in it, especially to think that if there is no God, then there would be no justice. 
So why would you desire justice? If there is no order, why would you desire order? And what is the longing for that? So it really does, he does have a way of breaking it down and simplifying it for the average man to understand. Yeah, and that of course is an argument against the atheist notion. However, of course, in that passage I just read, he hasn't answered yet why is there so much suffering in a universe with a good God? Well, his answer to that, he actually, it actually comes a few chapters later. And the answer he offers is very simple, but I think one of the best answers that Christians can offer to this very difficult question. And the answer is that in order for love to be a part of this good creation of God's, there had to be free will. Free will, C.S. Lewis says, even though it makes suffering possible, is also the only thing that makes any love possible. Free will is what has made evil possible, but in giving free will, it makes the possibility of any love and goodness or joy worth having. And I think that's really beautiful. And we see that, of course, in Genesis with Adam and Eve being given this free will to choose God or to reject him. And that's where the whole origin of our problems as human beings comes from, mm. is that we were given the choice, love God or don't. Because if it was, if, if we weren't given the choice, it wouldn't be love. We'd be robots forced into worship of God. C.S. Lewis goes on from there on the next page. He says that the moment you have free will and a self at all, there is a possibility of putting yourself first, wanting to be the center wanting to be God. In fact, that was the sin of Satan. And that was the sin he taught to the human race. He goes on just a little below that. He says, and out of that hopeless attempt to become God ourselves has come nearly all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. Mm. Humanism to the finest. I like how he states that where it's putting yourself in the center. So hearing that, Jamin, how has this impacted your life personally? And then how do you share this with others? In my own life, I think that when I was about 17 years old, I was awakened to a lot of the corruption and suffering in the world. And I think that anybody who's woken up to that sort of thing, it rightly shakes them to their core. And it's something they have to wrestle with. And there was a part of me at that time that really wanted to rebel against a Christianity that I had grown up with. I didn't feel like it was giving me enough of an answer to actually go through that suffering. But C.S. Lewis's work gave me something really to ponder about. I realized in it that not only did Christianity offer an answer, an explanation for why there was suffering, but it offered a way through it. It's no accident, I don't think, that the central image of Christianity is an execution device. It's a cross, which by its very nature is a tool of suffering and death. And it's a great mystery of Christian faith, that it is through that suffering and that death that Jesus experienced on the cross, that all of the suffering and death that has plagued us is finally conquered and dealt with. And we are given the ability to go through death and suffering and come out the other side the same way that Jesus did three days later out of the other side of the tomb. I think that there's something about that that summarizes for me all of my feelings about the world 
You know, it's interesting. C.S. Lewis, in writing this book, was deeply inspired by a great thinker that lived over a thousand years before him, St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo. Augustine was a priest and a theologian who lived in North Africa in the fourth and fifth centuries AD. And he lived during the time when the Roman Empire was crumbling. And there was a lot of fear. This great empire that had existed for over a thousand years was falling away. And in its midst, was a sea of bloodshed. And he also had to comfort people in that time as a Christian. And one of the things he says in his books, his book, The Confessions, is when he discovered Christianity as a young man, he felt his heart pray, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so what C.S. Lewis is touching into here is that all of us know that the world is broken all of us want happiness, all of us want justice, all of us want the world to be set right, and we're looking for the way to do that. And Jesus says, come to me, I'm the answer. So I think that that's the central thing for me. So if you could share this with others and be able to, even with the people that are in your sphere of influence, a friend, a worker, you know, and encourage them through this, how would you say that? I think that I would start with the question, what do you desire more than anything else in life? I think that desire is the main key. I think that all of us as human beings desire happiness in some form or other. Even people who commit suicide do so because life is too miserable. And they think that in a sense, death would be a greater happiness than living. So we all desire happiness, even though we go about it in horrible ways. We seek happiness in pleasure, the, the pleasures of this world. We seek happiness in power, money. We seek happiness in honor and fame. And I think I would begin by saying to people, none of those things will truly make you happy. That that desire for happiness that you have is a God-shaped hole in your heart. And the only thing that can fill that hole is Jesus Christ. And you can actually go about that claim of Jesus scientifically. The scientific method says that if you want to test the truth of something, what you need to do is collect data and observe, record that data, keep it consistently, uh, and see what you discover at the end. And Jesus invites us to do the same thing. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will take those burdens. I'll give you happiness. He says in the Gospels, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you ask it will be given to you. And he invites us, in a sense, to test him, try, seek him, see what happens. And I think that people who truly seek God will find him. Mm. And I just invite them to, to test that. I would like to read maybe one more passage that we didn't get to. Absolutely. I think that one of the things that C.S. Lewis was combating in his day that we really need to be careful that we combat in ours is something that people say very often, which is, well, you know, Jesus is a great moral teacher. He's got some great ideas, but eh, I don't, I mean, I don't know if he's really God. Do I really need to think he's God? And I, I want to just read really quickly C.S. Lewis's response to that, because I think it fits with what I just said about Jesus being that answer to the happiness we seek. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people say about Jesus. Namely, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, 
on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Mm, wow. What a wonderful example that God gave us people like a C.S. Lewis that had the mind and the gifting to be able to author things that really made Jesus come to life and explain things to really all of us because his books now still have a major impact on so many people. I wanted to ask you, have you ever done any studies like where your teachings before on mere Christianity or have you done any book studies with other people on this as well? I have. Yeah. yeah and what, I have. what was the response in those times of, of study with other people? I mean, were there any people that didn't know the gospels that it was enlightened to them and, and Jesus was enlightened to them? I, I mean, I've heard from many people all over the world share stories about how mere Christianity has deeply impacted them personally. I even had a, a pastor in college who used to tell me that he read mere Christianity once every year because it felt like it just centered him on the meaning of the gospel and the hope of Christianity. Mm -hmm. In my own experience, reading it with other people and teaching it, this is something that it's difficult. I think that C.S. Lewis is an author that even when he's writing in his simple manner in a way that that I believe is is very very down to earth it's still theology and I think that in the evangelical circles where I practice my faith as a Christian there's been a, an opposition culturally to deep thinking about theology so there's a little bit of resistance I've noticed with people who begin reading it but once they take to it and they really give themselves over to what's going on here they always tend to see the value in it C.S. Lewis himself, actually, in part of the book, mentions this resistance. And he, he says that some people say, you know, I just want the real thing. I just want Christianity. I don't want, I don't want your theology about it. I encounter God in nature, or in my relationship. I encounter God in the world. I don't need a book. I don't need thoughts. I don't need theology. And he admits that that's true. You don't encounter God fully in theology. You encounter him in worship and in the love of your neighbor, and in prayer. But he says that the value of theology is, think of it like a map. A map of the Atlantic Ocean is not the Atlantic Ocean. Reading a map and looking at a map of the Atlantic Ocean is not going to give you the same thrill as actually sailing on it, or going to the beach on the east coast of the United States and seeing the ocean. It's not going to give you the same thing. But without the map, that ocean is so vast that you may get lost on it and not really understand what's happening there. And I think that there's a danger there for, and, and a, there should be a warning to Christians that without books like Mere Christianity, without this sort of high level thinking about our faith, we are in danger of getting lost on the sea of our faith. Mm -hmm. And we're not able to explain it to other people very well. Mm -hmm. And so when they have questions, we don't answer them. We just say, I'll pray about it. And I think C.S. Lewis offers us with this book, a very good map. That's great. 
What, what a wonderful way to describe theology and the importance of it and the magnitude of how it can enhance our life, not take away. It leads us to God, not away from God. So I thank you for explaining that. Well, Jamin, I want to thank you so much for sharing today a little bit about mere Christianity and a little bit about C.S. Lewis's life. Is there anything that you want to, that's just on your mind or heart that you want to just close us with today on this topic? I think I'd like to end with the last line of the book itself. That would be great. This is how C.S. Lewis ends the book. The call of Christianity is to take up your cross and follow Christ. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you'll find him and with him, everything else thrown in. What a great way to end our podcast today on mere Christianity and the life of C.S. Lewis. Thank you for expounding that for our audience today, Jamin. I I thank you for the in-depth study that you've done, bringing it to light to us. You've made it very simple and understandable for us. Absolutely. Thank you, Jamin. It's always a pleasure to have you on the Truth Be Known podcast. And thank you for sharing your knowledge of C.S. Lewis and the writings of the book, Mere Christianity. We encourage all of our listeners to check out Lewis's writings and be enriched by the author's life and words. Thank you, friends, for tuning in today to Truth Be Known and go to thetruthbeknown.org to find out more about our future episodes and guests that will be joining us each week. You can always find us on your favorite streaming service. And don't forget to let the truth be known.